With the drastic changes occurring in education, how do we propel students, staff, and leaders to grow and explore in new ways? This week's guest, Lenny Rao, shares how providing opportunities of discovery and social-emotional learning will enhance targeted change and innovative ideas for everyone in the organization. In this week's episode, we discuss learning to listen instead of acting like the expert, the importance of spending time in reflection, Lonnie's new book, Evolving Learner, and her new podcast, Lemonade Learning. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Lenny, thank you so much for being on the Aspire Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. This is I'm a longtime listener, so this is really fun for me. <laughs> Well, I love that you said that, but you are doing so many amazing things in education, your podcast, your book, you know, all these different projects that you've got going on. We're definitely going to touch on that. But before we go into all of those different topics, I'd love to hear about your educational and leadership journey. Well, I would say I didn't even go into college expecting to be an educator to start with. My my journey has been one of, I had no idea this was what was going to (laughs) happen. So I started out, I was a psychology major and I ended up working at a non-public school for students with special needs. And I fell in love with working with kids. I decided to change my course and became an educator. Loved, loved, loved it. I ended up working at great schools. I worked at three different great schools, had amazing leaders. Wow, was I so lucky to have really, really strong leadership that was super supportive and helped me grow. They were always looking to nurture me. And so I ended up, the last school that I was at was a brand new school. We had not a ton of technology, but because it was a new school, we had technology that they wanted used. And so parents had invested, the district had invested, and I just got really passionate about it. And this is where my design, I didn't end up going into special ed specifically, but this is where I saw technology meeting the needs of kids who were not succeeding in traditional methods. So I got really excited about that. And I just had an amazing principal. She really pushed me to not only learn, but to share what I had learned with others. And so I had opportunities to co-teach, model lessons. It was really just such an amazing journey that I would have never envisioned. I mean, first of all, if you you ask my parents, they're they're probably shocked that I became a teacher. (laughs) That was not, I wasn't exactly an amazing student. Um, I did love to learn, but I wasn't necessarily uh, the best student. And so, I just got super lucky that, and, and I often say that kind of the path that I went down is because I never said no to something because I was afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I typically didn't say no to things. As I've gotten older, I've gotten better at saying no to things that don't necessarily align with my beliefs or values or maybe things that aren't right for my family. But I really have made it kind of a personal rule that I don't say no just because I'm afraid to do it. And sure. so- it's been, it's been something that's definitely taken place this last year. So then anyways, I went to a district position from a site position and then about 10, I'm trying to do the math here. Um, but about 10 years ago, I became a full-time consultant. Apple had hired me as a consultant and I was doing other work for, you know, different schools and districts. I did some work for Google. And so it's, it's been an unusual journey, but I'm so happy. It's been everything I could have ever dreamed for. It's, it's a lot of fun. So I want to talk about when you were a district leader, because you were in charge of not only students, but adults at that point. So what was kind of your role with the district at that time? So I had a counterpart Mm -hmm. and we had 
a couple people above us. And I don't know that we ever settled on an official title because there was kind of like something, there was something that HR called us and then there was something we called ourselves. Sure. And so it was basically a coordinator position yeah. focused on innovation and ed tech. And it was really interesting. It was so interesting because it was a big district, 33, well, uh, this is all perspective, of course, but from my perspective, 33 schools, 22,000 kids, 1,200 teachers. Yeah. It was a lot. And there were two of us that touched every single campus and ideally had at least some experience supporting teachers at all of the, all 1,200 teachers. So that was a really interesting shift. And I had already been pulled out of the classroom in a leadership position at the site part-time. Mm -hmm. So this was an opportunity to see very different um, experiences different campuses because at, at that point I taught at three campuses but now I'm seeing 33 campuses and I'm seeing secondary I'm seeing you know what a middle school campus is like a high school campus is like and I have to say that's been one of the best learning experiences ever is having gone from teaching as young as kindergarten and teaching sixth grade and doing a little bouncing around between those two to actually reporting up through secondary and getting to see a very different world that was a lot of fun for me I really enjoyed that different perspective. So with that coordinator of innovation position that you were in, yeah. I'm guessing that you had some professional developments that you had to create for your staff. So, you know, being a educator yourself, and then also you talked about not being the best student growing up. And I'm guessing <laughs> that's probably the model that you had to you know, experience in your younger years. What was the thing that you wanted to change about professional learning when you were in that role? I really wanted to move away from sit and get, and I also wanted to move away from this is how you have to do it. I, and I don't think I have veered very far from this. I'm still very much, uh, I want to give you options. Mm -hmm. These are possibilities for you. I want us to have the goal in mind. This is what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to empower learners. We're trying to um, make their thinking visible. We have all these things that we want to do for our learners. But there's so many different ways to do that. And Simon, Simon Sinek, he has a really great talk where he talks about when we have a clear destination, mm -hmm. we can use our problem solving, our creativity, our innovation to find our own path to get there. And that was really something that even, I won't say I was amazing at it out of the gate, but I think that not being a good student and not actually liking what I would consider traditional PD, the sit and get, I think that really pushed me to try and be like, how can I spend as little amount of time up here talking at people as possible. And how do I get people really actively engaged and actively learning and able to have some, some voice and choice in their learning? And so I'm assuming that based on what you modeled for the teachers, then that's in essence what you wanted them to do for the students, which yes. also is probably that designing for inquiry model that you were looking for. Yes, in fact, I can I can vividly remember trying to to model it and then walk it back and say, this is why I did what I did, sure. because I don't want to stand and do a lecture and then say, you should never lecture. That makes no <laughs> sense. So, so I, you know, often one of the things that I would do, and I didn't really even know to call it inquiry back in the day when I first started doing professional learning was to let people explore and let them engage with things and not give a huge explanation, like let them just try it out and construct their own meaning and co-construct co with their peers before I dive into any direct instruction. And to me, that's a really important thing. I want to be asking more questions. I want to be giving more opportunities for learners to ask questions, for sure. In fact, that's actually a really big one, giving learners an opportunity to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't want to come in with all the answers first. I think that that 
that makes it a more approachable, more accessible way too. Is I'm not here to say I have all the answers. I have some things that work for me. I really hope they work for you too. And you're being the facilitator in that in that model. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you talked about collaboration, and I know that word is used so often that it's lost its its meaning sometimes. But you know, with adults, when you're trying to get them to collaborate with their peers, how are you doing that as a facilitator? So it's actually the same way I do it with kids. And that is that we co-create the expectations for that collaboration. How can we come to consensus on what we expect out of this collaboration? And so I, I kind of go back to a community of inquiry. And so in a community of inquiry, we want to have social presence. We want to have teacher presence and we want to have cognitive presence. So I really love that you mentioned, you know, Belaney, you're the facilitator. And yes, I absolutely am the facilitator. That's my job with the teacher presence. I am here for you. I'm establishing an individual connection. I'm also here for everyone guiding and making sure that you're getting whatever scaffolding you need, whatever support you need. But I really, and this this kind of goes to my background with building a certification called Leading Edge Certification, which I don't think I've mentioned to you before, but, but that, that was actually one of the first things I did as a consultant. It was a project that was spearheaded by Q mm-hmm. here in California and yep. Nevada, and it was a partnership with County Offices of Eds. And the idea was is that there's a lot of great certifications out there. They are often tied to a vendor or product. You know, we wanted something that was going to be agnostic, if you will. Like we wanted a certification for innovation and curriculum. And so it was the most beautiful, like one of the most beautiful collaborations I've ever had an opportunity to getting back to your original question about collaboration. But that was a really, really beautiful collaboration. We built these four certifications. And one of the first ones, the very first one we did was online teacher, which of course now is incredibly relevant as we over the last year have tried to, in an emergency state, as best as we could go, okay, what are these What is this digital pedagogy from online learning that we can at least try to bring in? So community of inquiry is one of the frameworks that I look to. Again, that's the social presence. So we want to have that social presence where we're all together. And that's when I like to really focus on the co-creating of expectations, the teacher presence, and then the cognitive presence. So we're constant constructing of knowledge and co-creating that meaning. So that's just something that I kind of gravitate towards. Yeah, you brought up online learning. So obviously, we got to dive into that. Because as we all know, throughout the country around the world, you know, it's now online and blended learning for the majority of districts out there. So, you know, do you have any advice for those who are kind of struggling through that? I know we're toward the end of the year, but I know that teachers are still having similar problems from the beginning of the year to now the end. So I just want to kind of get a brainstorm here if you have any advice for our listeners. So it's been really interesting for me over the last year because my two worlds that were pretty siloed, my more traditional and and to some extent blended, quickly colliding with my online learning and in a very different way, though, because in online learning pre-COVID, we had families opting in. This was by choice. This wasn't in an emergency reaction to a global pandemic. So it's been really interesting to me to try and process through like, okay, if we have to get really, really to the essentials, what do we need to have happen really regardless of whether you're online, in person or hybrid Mm -hmm. and kind of where I have come to is obviously the community. You have to build that community. You have to have that one-on-one presence. You have to. And the thing I would say about online learning that's very different is 
you have to be relentless with that. There's a lot that can naturally happen in person and in online, you're calling, you're emailing, you're being, I like to do the three signature practices, the SEL playbook from Castle. That's happening because you don't have necessarily the other ways that are more naturally connecting when you're in person. So kind of the three big things that I came away from after processing this for a year, we have to have that community building. We have to have that SEL. We've got to design for inquiry and engaging. And I say inquiry, that's that's me, but we definitely have to make sure that the learning is engaging and empowering. I do that through inquiry. And then we have to be really, really thoughtful about formative assessment and how we can make thinking transparent to the learner, to the family, and how do we really use that feedback to guide their learning? Because in in traditional, it sounds so funny to say, in traditional online learning, synchronous time was very rare. And there's a spectrum there. So I don't like to generalize too much, but it would not be uncommon in traditional online learning to meet synchronously one time per week, maybe even only for an hour. And the rest of it happens asynchronously, which frees up the teacher to devote a lot of time to providing high quality feedback. You have these asynchronous discussions where you hear from every single student, not just the ones who are comfortable raising their hand. So I think my greatest hope, if I can just put a, a pitch for this out there, my greatest hope is that We really think about what works well from online learning and how we can keep that when we go back to fully in person. And some already have, I know, and depending on when people listen to this, we'll have some people that are fully back in person. But I just want to advocate for the introverts who are not raising their hands in class and have really good ideas, or the kids who take a little longer to process, or the kids who really like to think with empathy and just completely understand all of the angles before they throw out a possible solution. So that would be my hope. Well, Lainey, you brought up a really important topic within that answer, which is talking about the social emotional needs of our students. And so obviously that has always been there for our students, but with the pandemic, it is highlighted even more so and districts are really tuning into that topic. So what are some things that schools and districts need to be successful with social emotional learning? So for me, this is something else I got really pushed over the last year to be more intentional with. And that, and so for my strategy, and I know there's a lot of SEL programs out there, and that's great. For me, the important thing is that SEL is embedded. It's not just a, it's Tuesday afternoon, we're going to do this practice. Like it, it really needs to be as embedded as possible. And so that's why I gravitated pretty quickly to the three signature practices. So the welcoming inclusion activity is one, the engaging strategies is another, and the optimistic closure is another. Mm -hmm. So for me, what I've done over this last year is there is not a time where I get together with people synchronously, whether it's adults or kids, where we don't hit all three of those. It's not always easy because sometimes we have a very short amount of time, but you can do these things very, very quickly and they can have a very big impact. And so it can be two words you're feeling in the chat. It could be something longer, but it can be just something to give an opportunity to come together before we jump right into that content. The engaging strategies, that's that's a great opportunity to practice the social emotional, you know, the social awareness and how do we collaborate together and all of those things. And then the optimistic closure, which I always think people, I probably misunderstood it in the beginning more than anyone. I was like, oh, we got to end on a happy note. 
it's actually not what an optimistic closure is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about reflecting and thinking forward. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do next? And also just being really, really, and I was talking with someone earlier today, actually someone you might know, Olivia Chan. Oh yeah. (laughs) Very well. Yes, I figured you did. And so (laughs) we were talking about how it's so important to be in these habits because if you don't plan and really make the time, the first thing to go is the reflection at the end, right? You don't do that optimistic closure because we ran out of time. And so now I've just made it a habit that something else is going to get cut, but that's not going to get cut. Yeah. And that's important to me. Very much so. Yeah. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. So let's pivot a little bit because I want to talk about all the amazing things you're doing, including the evolving learning book that you have. Um, I know that was published March of 2020. And it is such a fabulous book for anyone that's listening. You need to make sure that you pick it up. But for those who haven't had a chance to read it, will you just give a quick synopsis? Sure, sure. So I wrote Evolving Learner with Christy Andre and Lawrence Diamond. So shout out to my amazing co-authors. And the, the premise, the thing that we knew going into it was we were going to talk about how we need to learn from kids, peers in the world. And so professional learning isn't something that happens on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. That's not the only thing that professional learning is. It's how can we continuously be improving? So we knew we were going to talk about kids, peers in the world, but a couple of things emerged that we didn't see from the very beginning. And one is cycles of inquiry are so important. We have to have a focus. We have to learn, we have to refine, we have to reflect. And it's not a linear process. So you might pick a focus and for your listeners, he's nodding, Josh is nodding because you might pick a focus and you might learn more and you go, oh, I have the wrong focus. (laughs) Or or you might refine and you you might say, I need to learn more because this is not quite right. So that was really a really big, big takeaway from us. We started with this idea of kids, peers in the world, and then we go, wait, it's got to be through continuous cycles of improvement. And then the other one, which we were just talking about earlier, is the social emotional learning component. But we actually spend, we absolutely know we have to do it for kids, but we spend the most time talking about it in the peers section, because we believe that you cannot ask teachers to do things that are not being done for them as well. And so, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So we want to make sure that our teachers are being taken care of. And so what a great way as leaders that we can do, you could do the three signature practices during a staff meeting and that's how you model and you're doing it. It's a habit. It's a routine that you get into and that's how it starts to make it into everyone's practice. Yeah. And like you said, it should be embedded in everything that we do. Everything that we do. Yeah. So that's the big idea. I love this this book and I, I really learned so much. We say in the very beginning, we didn't write the book because we had the answers. We wanted the answers. And so it was really a lot of fun to learn. It was a very long journey for me. It started for me seven years ago when Alan November asked me to keynote at his event. And I spent a whole year thinking about how would I talk about professional learning? And then I think it was in 2017, I was not getting anywhere and I brought Christy and Lauren in and they really, they really helped me um, think through this. Like I said, we learned together. And so we're always learning, evolving learner. (laughs) Collaboration with your peers. Exactly. You modeled it for everybody. Let's talk about another project that you are in collaboration with Bree Hodges, your amazing podcast, the Lemonade Learning Podcast. So where did that come from? 
<laughs> okay, so seven years, roughly, well, now it was six at the time of the pandemic. That book launched March 13th, 2020, which if that date is not ingrained on you, <laughs> maybe your schools didn't shut down that day. But here in California, all of our schools shut down that day. Yeah. That was uh, Friday the 13th. Yep. Couldn't be weirder. Exactly. That was a really hard thing because I had poured a lot of time and energy into that book. It was very polished. I'm super proud of it. But it wasn't like people had the time to read a book. <laughs> and so Brie and I connected. She She's amazing. We had met one time in person at a Future Ready event. And she texted me. I can tell you where I was standing in my dining room. She texted me and she says, like, how are you getting through this? It looks like you're doing some amazing things. And I said, I've tricked you. Um, <laughs> it is a crazy cuckoo banana situation over here. I am barely, barely keeping my head above water. But let's talk. And we spent an hour or two on the phone. And I don't know still to this day what possessed me to say it. But I said, Brie, would you like to do a podcast? And she's like, okay. <laughs> Brie will tell you, like, when I say I'm going to do something, there's no stopping me. So I, I'm pretty, it's to a fault. I'm pretty determined. So we made it happen. And we're a year in and it's been super fun. And we were talking about reflection earlier. That is reflection. Mm -hmm. So I just like, you know, we're doing right now, we're having this conversation. When this goes live, I will listen to it and I will reflect on, wow, okay, I don't think I articulated that well. Or, oh, you know, when Josh said that, that was really making me think about this. Sure. I need to dive deeper into that. So that's been happening for me for the podcast because I don't do a lot of post-production. If you've listened, you know that, but we do, I do listen to make sure there's no audio issues. So that's, that's a, that's an opportunity for me to reflect. Mm -hmm. So conversation and then reflecting. So do you find that, do you find that you reflect as you listen to these? Cause you look at this, you're going into podcast remote, asking me questions. I knew you were going to call me out on that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do reflect. In fact, the episode I just posted a couple weeks ago with Peter DeWitt, I think I listened to that three times because he was just on fire and I just love what he, he does and what he's about and the wisdom he put in that episode. So yes, I find at certain points I'm definitely taking notes and listening to it. And at first it was weird to like listen to my own podcast and listen to me speak, but now it doesn't bother me as much. But definitely I get a lot of a lot from the podcast for sure. Well, you have a great voice. I'm still not okay with my voice, but I tune myself out and I'm able to pretty well. <laughs> we are our own worst enemies. So I know it's yeah. so hard. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard. So what what is the podcast about though? Like what topics do you guys hit on? Is it just for any educator? Let's talk through that. So we started the podcast thinking, okay, this is going to be like our raw documentation of our lives as parents and educators. And we did that. And there's, it's kind of like us trying to go, okay, well, here's how I'm surviving this. <laughs> we, we each have episodes where we kind of go, okay, well, I'm doing this. One of the episodes is called, could someone else do this for me? <laughs> and it's kind of like, how could we empower? This is like episode two or something like that. So in the beginning, it's really us just trying to think through how we're going to survive everyone being at home in this crazy time. Sure. And then Brilliant Brie around, I think, summer said, should we get any guests in here? And I was like, oh, that's a smart idea. And I said, oh, I, I know who we should have on. I really want to learn from Katie Novak. Can we have her on? And so and she's amazing. She is. And God bless her. I know she's been on yours. She was on, on with George. Yeah, she she brought it. And I tell people all the time, within 90 seconds, she's singing Beyonce. I mean, she's 
on fire. She's so fun, just such a joy to listen to and brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, it was, yeah, it was like, we're having guests, we're having guests. And and there's times where we're like, we should probably just do an episode, the two of us, but it's hard because there's so many people we want to have on because it's basically our own learning experience. So it's been really, really fun. So Lenny, you are writing constantly and I see that you are in George Curis's new collaborative book, Because of a Teacher, and then you're also writing for Edutopia. So what are those uh, two projects about? So I was on George's podcast and we really hit it off. It was so fun because we actually talked for like 80 minutes before he ever hit record. <laughs> and so it was it was really cool. And we had not really talked before that, but we totally connected and he knew I had written before. And so he said, hey, how would you feel about writing in this collaborative book because of a teacher? And so it's actually three parts. So obviously because of a teacher, section one is about a teacher who inspired. Then it's an admin, which I got to write for that part, which was so fun for me because I was telling you, I've had all these amazing administrators that was really helpful to kind of have this very public expression of gratitude and this principal this leader she's still a principal she doesn't know this is coming I cannot wait to hand it to her once it's once it's published and then the last section is advice to your first year teacher self and so it's really exciting it's a great group of folks and I just can't wait for it to come out late summer early fall don't have the exact date yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And then honestly, I wrote the book with Christy and Lauren and I thought I would never write anything again. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like I said, I've been processing all these things about how do I take what I knew from online learning and my in-person learning and blended learning and how do I kind of bring it all together? And it's just, as I've been processing, I've just wanted to kind of learn out loud. So when I feel like I've learned something well enough to at least share it with people, that's what I've been kind of writing articles about. So it's been so fun. A lot of those are collaborations where I, you know, we get together and we brainstorm what should we write about and outline. And I am a huge collaborator. I think that's when I learn the most is when I'm working with others. So let's talk about the reflection process a little bit more. You know, you've had these opportunities to reflect. I want you to be able to do that here on the podcast with leadership specifically. So obviously the podcast, we've got a lot of aspiring leaders and current leaders who are listening. So for those folks, if they could do one or two things tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would that be? It's a good question. So it's so funny because earlier we were talking about professional learning and modeling. And I would say the mistakes that I've made as a leader were probably this. And I think classroom teachers are leaders too. So I don't want that to come out wrong. But I would say that as a first year teacher, the mistakes that I made was I didn't listen enough to kids. I felt like I needed to prove myself. Obviously, imposter syndrome is something we all suffer from. So I felt like I needed to be the expert. I needed to make them understand that I knew things. And I feel like I did the same thing when I moved into, when I moved out of the classroom and into a district leadership position is I felt like I needed to really establish that I know things. (laughs) And And I think that was a big mistake. And I've now learned since, of course, you know, when you take over a position, if you're the new principal, whatever your position is, it's not your job nor a good idea to try and change everything in the beginning. It's your job to build relationships and to learn and to not assume that something you did somewhere else is actually the right solution for where you are now. And so just to really embrace the fact that you don't have all the answers, you need to listen more and how can you just be really open-minded about what are the right solutions for here and now, not what has worked for me in the past. Yeah. So Lenny, for those who love what you're talking about, want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? 
So I am, this is the, the spelling test because <laughs> my names are hard, but I'm Lainey Rowell across the web. So L-A-I-N-I-E and then Rowell like Powell, R-O-W-E-L-L. I'm Lainey Rowell. I'm on Twitter and Insta, although Insta sometimes makes me feel old because I feel like I haven't quite figured out all the buttons. And every time I do, they add something new like reels. I'm still learning that one, but I'm definitely on Twitter the most. I'm on Insta and then um, I'm in other spaces too, but Twitter is definitely the one I spend the most time on for sure. And then of course uh, the book, we would love for you to check out the book and the podcast with Brie Lemonade Learning. Definitely check out the Evolving Learning book. Lanny, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm just, I just feel so thankful for you to be on here to share some wisdom with our listeners today. Oh, I'm so honored. And I really do listen to your show all the time. So I'm having a bit of a nerd, nerd out moment, like fangirl here, because it really is a great show that you put on. And so I, whoever's listening is not already subscribed, they should be. So thank you so much for having me.